today from the global lane, Armenia under military attack. Will peace talks stop Azerbaijan from advancing against the tiny Christian nation? It's a bigger than just the Muslim versus Christian. They want resources. They want to connect uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey. Biden speaks about sending U.S. troops to Taiwan. How China may respond. Maybe they will try to create something not real, quite shocking. It may be a firework project. Confronting a rising tide of cultural evil. An urgent wake-up call to the American church. We must not shut up. We must speak. Time is very, very short. Border crisis in Martha's Vineyard? Moving immigration front and center this election season. Every community in America should be sharing in the burden. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Show of support for Armenia. U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and a delegation of American lawmakers traveled to Yerevan this week where they condemned Azerbaijan's, quote, illegal and deadly attacks against Armenia. Two days of cross-border shelling and fighting claimed the lives of more than 170 soldiers on both sides of the conflict. A temporary ceasefire was agreed to last week, but might the fighting resume in the days ahead? Well, here to provide some insights is Reverend Haig Kurlopian. Dr. Kurlopian is lead pastor of the Armenian Evangelical Church of New York. Pastor Kurlopian, it's good to talk with you. So Azerbaijan said Pelosi's visit and remarks make a negotiated settlement with Armenia more difficult. So what do you think of the timing of her visit? I think it was uh, of ideal timing because uh, Azerbaijan invaded Armenia proper. This is not a disputed territory. Uh, we've been saying for the past 30 years that Azerbaijan wants Armenia. If they put down their weapons, there'll be peace. If we put down our weapons, we're going to be invaded and more lands of the first Christian nation are going to be taken from us. Uh, this is uh, a tragedy. War is always a tragedy, but they invaded uh, the first land where Christ was declared as the, the first Christian nation. It, if we... If we been negotiating this for 30 years, but but th there hasn't been traction because they want to take our lands. Uh, it's it's very simple. We we don't want to fight back. We we barely have the the firepower compared to them. We just want to live in peace. We want our lands not to be touched. And uh, if if we, if they keep at it, uh, they'll they'll take over our, our our land. Well, I'm wondering if there's more to this because Armenia is a Christian country, as you mentioned. Azerbaijan is Muslim. It's more than just a dispute over faith, is it not? Yeah, it has more to do with connecting Azerbaijan and Turkey and uh, Azerbaijan wanting land from Armenia proper. This is not disputed territory. They attacked uh, a couple of weeks ago. They uh, attacked uh, villages and, and churches, communities that I've done ministry at. These are love, peace, loving people. They're Christians and uh, they were intact. So it's geopolitical. Uh, Armenians have always been historically in tough geopolitical positions. And because of our Christian faith, uh, going back to 301 AD, we've always been an outlier and never been in a strategic geopolitical alliance. But we've been around. God has been faithful to us. And we don't want to see more of our churches be uh, uh, destroyed. We don't want to see more of our indigenous land, lands be uprooted from us. Uh, so it's it's a bigger than just the Muslim versus Christian. They want resources. They want to connect uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey because Turkey and Azerbaijan have always had a strong alliance. And if you know that Turkey committed genocide against us a uh, hundred plus years ago, and they still deny it, and they they are funneling resources and troops and ammunitions to the Azeris to continue that mission. It, it's 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 awful to say, but 
they haven't accepted their history and they continue the crimes of the past. And uh, we need to call it for what it is. It's an invasion. It's an aggression. It's an assault by two autocratic regimes. And they need to be held accountable. Okay, if this ceasefire doesn't hold, then how likely is it that NATO member Turkey and Russia may be brought into this dispute if differences aren't resolved? So Russian peacekeepers were there to help uh, provide a, the ceasefire from the 44-day war two years ago, as you mentioned. Uh, but the peacekeepers didn't do anything uh, recently, and Azeris attacked Armenia proper. This was in a disputed territory. So there's a question now what's going to happen. Um, quite frankly, I hope for the best and that no more violence continues. Uh, but I also hope that um, uh, the violence stops. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what else to say. It, it, it's, it's an awful situation, and we have to wait and see whether or not Nancy Pelosi's uh, trip will have uh, uh, actual changes. I hope so, because uh, I want my people not to live in fear of being invaded, to being assaulted. Uh, over 200 citizens were attacked. These are these are civilians. These aren't military people that were were, were shelled and attacked by drones. It's 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 awful. Well, what needs to be done at this point, and how should Christians respond? How should we pray? Well, pray in faith. Uh, I do believe uh, prayer does wonders. It's what sustained my people through many persecutions throughout our, our history. Uh, praying in faith that God will persevere uh, and, and make us endure through this hardship. But also to take some actions, uh, uh, call your congressman, uh, your senator, tell them to stop having U.S. fund Azeri military, but their budget. Uh, also to, to just condemn this publicly. It needs to be said that this was wrong. It's not a two-sided war here. It's one, siding, one side invading a, a very smaller country with a smaller military budget and a smaller population. Uh, it's really David and Goliath, and it can't, can't be... We, we have to support uh, any, any sort of small nation that's being invaded. And Azerbaijan, of course, rich in oil and natural gas. Pastor Haig Kurlopian of the Armenian Evangelical Church of New York Thank you for sharing those insights. We appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me on and, and raising awareness to this issue. Here on the home front, President Biden raised the ire of communist China when he told 60 Minutes host Scott Pelley that the United States would defend Taiwan militarily if China invades. Would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes. Despite Biden's remarks, U.S. officials insist American policy toward Taiwan has not changed. Although the United States is not bound by treaty to defend Taiwan militarily, the Taiwan Relations Act of 1979 states that, quote, the U.S. would act to resist any resort to force or other forms of coercion that would jeopardize the security or the social economic system of the people of Taiwan. Well, joining us is the chief technical officer of Teclium, Inc., Jason Ho. Mr. Ho is a defense technology analyst. He was the lead designer of the F-35 jet flight control and image display systems. Uh, Jason, it's good to talk with you again. So what do you think about Biden's remarks about Taiwan? I think this is more just talking than actions and three reasons. And first, and China never intend to have a confrontation with the U.S. armies, because if they can steal a nation, they can steal the world. Why they want to risk in the battlefield? 
And the second, Taiwanese elite and the Chinese elite, actually, they are close, they have a very close family ties. And they know, and because the China and Taiwan, all those relationship is very sophisticated. And there's no reason and China will stir the water to invade Taiwan at this moment, especially Xi Jinping is going to be the emperor of China. And third is election is coming. Well, yes. I mean, why uh, why destroy uh, Taiwan when you can just get what you want anyway from uh, pulling a Hong Kong, doing like what they did in Hong Kong? Is that is that the thinking? Definitely, Chinese is not as rude as people might think because they have strong influence in the U.S. in the social media. We can criticize Russia, but we cannot talk about China. Their profound influence has come from is not come from nothing. This is very well planned. They know how to use Taiwan. They know how to use duality to achieve their goals. Well, how concerned then should we be here in the U.S. about a possible China military invasion of Taiwan? Uh, you, you say it isn't that likely. It's not going to have a real confrontation. But uh, when I talk to many and Asian politicians, and they still have concerns because and to stir the water to make the Xi Jinping, because he has a coming election. And also Democratic Party also have a coming election. Both are holding in November. In that case, maybe they will try to create something not real, but something still and uh, quite shocking. So the Asian people quote, it may be a, going to be a firework project. Firework means uh, maybe China will and fire some missile towards US and the vessels, but they will not hit them. And U.S. vessel may might strike back, but they will not hit the Chinese. And those fireworks definitely can make people believe. And the uh, current administration really has the will to fight against the China. Dual purpose before an election, I guess. China, uh, Xi uh, Jinping showing that he's tough, and then Biden doing the same. So. More than one out of five, uh, every five items imported here in the U.S. come from China. More than half a trillion dollars worth of goods each year. Uh, could China and the U.S. afford a war over Taiwan? Because it would really devastate not only the economies of both countries, but also the world. What do you think? And this is ironic. When the DOD proposed, when China invaded Taiwan, it's best for U.S. interest. U.S. just destroyed uh, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, to destroy Taiwan Semiconductor abilities. It sounds like it's going to do a lot of damage to the Western world. But actually, you know, the protest most is Chinese government. They are genuinely angry. How possible you can destroy Taiwan Semiconductor industry? And this is very obvious. Taiwan Semiconductor industry is more important to China rather than to U.S., definitely for Chinese interests. And to keep Taiwan as it is, it's more beneficial for them to actually have something happen over there. Well, they dominate the world's computer chip supply. So the Chips and Science Act that was enacted into law this past summer for, provides billions of dollars in subsidies and tax credits to help expand the U.S. semiconductor industry. So what difference would that make in the event of war with China over Taiwan? And first, and Chips Act, as I mentioned, and those semiconductor companies create a chip shortage problem. And if you want to give money to them, they won't help you to resolve the problem. And the second, the chip shortage most is on the 28 nanometer chips. This is a lower technology, which is easier to manufacture, but not enough profit. 
And but the chips X more focused on the two, three nanometer advanced technology. There's a mismatch over there. So chips X probably, and this is good for people to take advantage and to get a lot of benefits from the government subsidies rather than resolve anything in reality. Therefore, I don't think China will think seriously about the CHIPS Act because eventually that will benefit China's aggressions. Everything heading towards China. Okay, Jason Ho, Defense Technology Analyst and Chief Technology Officer at Teclium Inc. Thank you, Jason. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Wake-up call to the American church. The Nazis took power in Germany and went on to kill 6 million Jews. Could something like that eventually happen right here in the United States? Well, our next guest is urging fellow Christians to repent of their silence in the face of evil before it's too late. Eric Metaxas is a journalist, author, and host of the Eric Metaxas Radio Show. His new book is Letter to the American Church. He joins us now to set us straight. Eric, always good to talk with you, and I've read your book. It's wonderful, by the way. I recommend it. It seems, though, more like a thesis perhaps a bit like Martin Luther's 95 Theses or writings by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And you spend a significant amount of time discussing Bonhoeffer, detailing what happened in Germany during the 1930s. So explain the similarity, the parallels that you see happening today right here in the United States. Well, I'll simply say this. It is the silence of the American church on a host of issues today that many people say, oh, that's not a gospel-related issue. I don't want to be divisive. I want to be political. It is that silence which directly parallels the silence of German Christians in the early 30s. And it led to the satanic evil of the Nazi takeover of that culture where they crushed the church, they silenced the church, but it's because the church allowed them to do it by being silent. And there were many voices at that time uh, giving theological reasons why we should not speak out on these issues. We're not supposed to be political, they said. It's nonsense. It is not biblical. And at a time like this, it's the voice of the devil. But the point is, Christian leaders who are uh, being used by these evil forces, they have no idea what lies ahead. So it's easy for us to look back at the Germans and say, wow, they got it wrong. They should have spoken up. Bonhoeffer was right. I'm with them. But we're doing the same thing in the American church today. And there are voices, leaders in the church today that are being silent. In fact, most leaders in the American church are being silent because some leaders in the American church are actually advocating silence in the face of evil. They know not what they do. I want to give them grace. And I wrote the book to try to reach those people and to say to them, please understand that by not speaking up against everything that you see, by being afraid to be political, you have been silenced. The enemy uh, is using theology to confuse us and to say, well, uh, we, uh, we're not supposed to talk about that kind of stuff. Romans 13, the same thing happened in Germany. The church was silent. Bonhoeffer and others knew this was not biblical. This was not what God was calling them to do. But the church hesitated enough and kept silent enough for long enough for the Nazis to utterly take over and 
really do things so evil that we look back, we think, well, that can never happen again. And what I'm saying in this book is that we already see it happening. Tremendous devastation in this nation on innumerable issues. And the church is silent. And you write that Bonhoeffer addressed the question of leadership. He talked about servant leadership, Jesus taking on the role of the lowly slave when he washed the feet of his disciples. And you say Bonhoeffer was suggesting that a leader is not leading as God would lead when he or she idolizes self. They become misleaders. Do you see that happening today in America? How is that being played out in the church and in politics? 20 years ago, if somebody said, well, don't be political uh, because we have different kinds of people in our congregation, you know, and you, but you'd say today, the world has changed. Today, uh, the left in America is advocating for cultural Marxism, which is atheism. It's based, it's atheistic. So when people are talking about a critical race theory, when they're talking about the transgender madness, all of these things are new. And if the church was silent 20 years ago, well, that was one thing. But to say today that, well, I don't want to be political, how can you not be political? William Wilberforce, about whom I've written and I mentioned in the book along with Bonhoeffer, he was dealing with the slavery issue and the slave trade. He knew it was satanic and he was political in saying, we've got to do what we can because we're Christians. And when people say, but you're being political, he would say, no, I'm simply doing what God commands me to do, to be a voice for the voiceless. The African slaves don't have a voice. If I don't speak, God will judge me. If I don't speak for the unborn today, God will judge me. Eric, what specifically then do Christians need to do? Do we need to attend school board meetings, run for office? I mean, beyond just speaking up, what should we do? Well, we need to do everything. In other words, I think that if, if when we talk about the church, we're talking about multiplied millions of Americans uh, who each has a different calling. So we just have to ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? But do something. We had pulpits uh, on fire uh, before the revolution advocating against tyranny. They weren't afraid to be political uh, before uh, the civil war in this country. We had pulpits preaching against the evils of slavery. And people said to them, you're being political. Shut up, shut up. We must not shut up. We must speak. Time is very, very short. Okay, speaking up for truth, faith in action, living out our faith. The book is Letter to the American Church. Eric Metaxas, thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it, Eric. Good book. God bless you. Thank you. Undocumented migrant apprehensions along the southern U.S. border have now hit 2 million within the past year. So is there any end in sight? And is busing them to large sanctuary cities like Washington and New York the answer? First, here's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Every community in America should be sharing in the burdens. Residents of Martha's Vineyard were enraged when DeSantis sent a plane load of 50 migrants to the elite island. President Biden also expressed outrage. Republicans are playing politics with human beings, using them as props. What they're doing is simply wrong. It's un-American. It's reckless. Folks, all of this is political theater from people on both sides of this issue. You have Governors Abbott and DeSantis wisely exposing the hypocrisy of liberals who pass sanctuary laws and then insist that the southern governors are cold and inhumane. You see, these leftist politicians don't really want the migrants in their cities and states. They want to appear concerned and caring, yet their attitude is... Just keep them down by the border so we don't have to deal with them. Where's their compassion? 
Abbott and DeSantis rightfully point out that U.S. border communities are overwhelmed because of this administration's open border policy. Texas is now spending more than $3 billion annually responding to the border crisis. That's money that could otherwise go for things like repairing roads and bridges, better education, maybe even raises for teachers and police officers. But you see, if the taxpayers of Texas fail to help fund the Biden administration's misguided migration policy, then they're labeled as racists or people who lack compassion. So tell me, just how much compassion was shown in Martha's Vineyard when the 50 migrants sent there were loaded onto government vehicles and transported to military bases against their will. Or when 53 migrants were found dead last June in that tractor trailer in Texas. Remember that? What's really going on here, folks, is threefold. The United States has a shortage of workers. About 11 million jobs are unfilled right now. Undocumented migrants could fill them and provide cheap labor. NBC News recently exposed how this works. They discovered undocumented migrants working at an illegal marijuana farm in California, and they hadn't been paid. Many were consigned to living in squalid conditions in an on-site makeshift trailer park. Another reason is political. How many of those two million migrants might end up voting for the political party that let them in? But before they could do that, they'd have to be citizens, right? Just ask border czar Kamala Harris. She's proposed that idea. And then, of course, the third reason for the open border, lots of money made by the bad guys, the cartels, and the dirty politicians who look the other way as billions of dollars are made on trafficking people across the border. Not to mention fentanyl, which is now killing more than 50,000 Americans each year. Those opioid deaths are up at least 59 percent over 2019. Folks, the actions of Governors Abbott and DeSantis are pushing this immigration issue front and center for the upcoming midterm election. And that is rightfully where it belongs. The nation can no longer ignore it. Let's show compassion for the migrants, yes. But let's also support office seekers who advocate a common sense approach, like expanding the guest worker program so the country's labor needs may be met. Also, let's vote for candidates who believe in securing the border to prevent humans from being trafficked and keeping fentanyl opioids far away from our kids. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.